and welcome to Employment Practices Solutions Discussion, The Next Best Thing to Being There, Virtual Investigations in the COVID Era. I'm your host, Lisa Dishman. It's probably understatement to say that the impact of the COVID pandemic has been far-reaching. A significant shift for EPS and for our consultants has been the need to provide services virtually for our clients. That includes investigations. In-person interviews have been a hallmark of our investigations for 25 years, literally. We're marking that 25-year milestone this year. But in the past year, as our clients have coped with pandemic-related travel restrictions, we have delivered almost 100 investigations virtually over Zoom, Teams, FaceTime, you name the platform, and we've used it. And having accumulated all of that experience, we wanted to share our impressions and our guidance for adapting to this new approach to investigations. Today, I'm joined by three very experienced investigators. Their EPS experience alone covers close to 50 years. I'd like to welcome my colleagues, Stephanie Davis, Amy Jacobs, and Jill Rorschach to the conversation. And I'd like to have each of you introduce yourself with a bit about your background and your role at EPS. Steph, do you wanna kick us off? Sure. Um, I started um, with practicing law in New York, employment law uh, in New York for five years before joining EPS in 2000 as a consultant. Uh, I then spent the next decade, 2000 to 2010, as a consultant, mostly doing investigations and facilitating training in the workplace. And in 2010, I moved to management where I oversee operations, the uh, corporate staff and the consultant group, as well as some service provisions. Amy, welcome. Oh. Thanks. Hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm located in Fort Worth, Texas, and I've been with EPS since 1997. Um, during that time, I have worked as a consultant and worked with all types of clients, delivering all of our core services, investigations, training, and expert testimony. Prior to joining EPS, I practiced employment law in Texas. Hi, Jill. Hello. Hi, everybody. Um, I have been with uh, EPS since October of 2018, uh, and I do the same kind of work that Stephanie and Amy described as far as uh, investigations, um, training, and also I do a lot of policy work um, for the team. Um, I, prior to joining EPS, I was in employee relations and HR and HR policy um, and several different roles in the financial services industry for about 25 years. Um, the Brain Trust is here. I'm so glad for each of you to have joined me today. I appreciate it. Let's start. Steph, you've led our team in this pivot from mostly in-person investigations and frankly, all of our services to almost all virtual service delivery over the course of the last year. Can you talk a little bit, sort of set the stage for us in terms of how that shift happened and what we saw in terms of what our clients needed and how our team moved to address their needs? Sure. So from a client standpoint, the shift was very, uh, it was almost instantaneous. It went from really business as usual in March, early March of, of last year to within a matter of weeks, everything going virtual. Um, 
and that was because some regions were under complete lock lockdown. Other clients were just very concerned about safety naturally um, and protecting their employees and us. So I would say by, by mid-March of last year, the vast majority of our work went um, to being conducted online. Um, there was, I think a brief period, maybe two to three months um, where we really saw a, um, a serious business downturn where clients were really um, preoccupied with safety and not so concerned about employee relations and other human resources issues. Uh, that evolved uh, around mid-year to us being busier than ever, uh, primarily with investigations into alleged misconduct and other alleged inappropriate behavior. Um, from our perspective, you know, the shift to, con to, to conducting services online was, was seamless. We've been all virtual for over five years. We're all really comfortable. Consultants was, you know, ready, willing, and able to do whatever needed to be done um, in terms of keeping people as safe as possible. Amy, you just literally wrote the white paper, if not the book, on the topic of virtual investigations. And you pointed out that there were two maybe surprising but very distinct advantages to virtual investigations. Can you shed some light on those to start off our discussion? Sure, yeah. Um, the, the two primary advantages are flexibility and efficiency. Um, first, just take, start with flexibility. In a virtual setting, the investigator and the witnesses both have f many more options when it comes to the interview itself, the timing of the interview. And one thing I wanted to note is that, you know, so many of our clients have different work settings now, right? There's essential uh, workers who were back on the job and really never left the job. Um, There's some clients who have gone completely remote. All their employees are remote and they may never go back. Others have a mixed workforce where some are in the office, some are home. Sometimes they're rotating so that people can have time in the office and be socially distant. So I say all that to say that if you were trying to conduct these interviews in person, you would have a lot of uh, logistics to manage. Um, so you know you can you can get right to it as far as the um, the when of the investigation as opposed to the how and the where. Um, uh, as far as efficiency, that's just a natural result of flexibility, right? You can schedule the, the time and you can get started right away. You don't have to make travel arrangements or you know, see about, well, someone's gonna be coming from this other place. So um, you know, those things really, um, really in my view are the best, the two primary advantages. Jill, Amy's article, and I suspect your own experience in the past year has uncovered some challenges, advantages aside, when it comes to a virtual investigation. What have you encountered in your, I don't know how many tens of investigations you've done, tens, 20, 30 in the past year, virtually? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And I had actually had some experience doing things virtually before that via video conference and stuff. So it wasn't um, totally brand new for me when we all really were forced to go virtual, um, you know, last year. I would say some of the things that are challenging um, that you wouldn't normally experience, you know, in a face-to-face 
um, uh, you know, in-person interview really. Uh, or one of the things is just sometimes people of course have technical difficulties and not everybody's used to Zoom depending on, you know, what their regular kind of role is in their workplace and whether or not they do those things. Um, and so sometimes it's just, a, you know, general technical hurdles. Sometimes people don't have a, a great um, location, you know, to be, to where they, to, uh, to have the interview with you and stuff. And so you have to kind of be planful for that. Uh, sometimes they're not well lit or something like that. And so it's hard to see their face where you would normally not have that issue if you're in the same room with them. So sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've asked people, can you move where there's not a window behind you or something like that? Cause I can't see your face and I know you can see mine. And it's really helpful for me to be able to um, see your face while we talk. And so I think just kind of um, those kinds of things. Also, one challenge that, you know, is not something you would face normally in a face-to-face -face in the same room kind of interview uh, is when you, you need to have, to have the witness look at documents or something like that. You know, you would normally be able to show them maybe text messages or screen prints from something. And now you've got to figure out a way logistically to share that with the person uh, you know, during the interview, either using Zoom or whatever the tool is or the platform you're using and making sure that you've practiced that and you know how to, how to get it done during the interview is very helpful. Steph, Amy, does that mirror your experience? Anything to add there in terms of challenges that you've encountered that Jill didn't cover? I do. I have, um, I have something to add. Certainly, I think the, the streamlining of logistics has been great on, on it, from every angle. Um, the main challenge that I've encountered and that I hear other consultants encountering is that it's, it's just more difficult to establish rapport um, when you're not in the same room with you know, an interviewee or with the group you're trying to train or what have you. Um, and it can be tricky to assess credibility virtually as well. Um, you can't always tell exactly what the person's doing, you know, um, they may not be making eye contact. It may be difficult to, to make eye contact. It even is on this call without looking right at the little green dot. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's really an issue of, uh, connecting. I just think it's harder to do online. Amy, anything to add? Uh, barking dogs is always a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not my own barking dog. I literally had an interview yesterday where someone's dog was snoring so loudly that she had to move to a different room. <laughs> That's a cute pup. Yeah, it doesn't usually happen in the interview room, does it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Amy, let's shift, let's shift to the platforms. I mean, just as locations can vary the circumstances of a, of a witness or whatever, the platforms can also vary. You know, technology, you guys have all referenced, has entered into this in a big way. So tell us a little bit about the platform. I think it can vary who gets to choose it, um, what happens with technologically challenged participants. Not everybody has been Zooming all day, every day. Tell us a little bit about the technology piece of it. Sure, yeah. Well, you know, there's lots of options when it comes to the, the, the platform. There's Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Skype, FaceTime, Google Meet, Hangouts, all kinds of places. Um, my experience has primarily been with Zoom and Teams and a few FaceTime. Um, interviews. Um, it's important to know if the client has a preferred platform. Um, and that's how I first became familiar with Teams is that that was something the client 
wanted all of their employees to work through. So I, you know, got that and got familiar with it because that was their expectation. Um, you know, so no matter which one you're using, the most important thing is it's been alluded to earlier is that the investigator and the witness both have some working knowledge of how to operate within it, right? And um, you may have individual witnesses with different skill levels. And so while the client may uh, have a preferred platform, I always like to talk with them up front about, well, there may be instances where just because of where someone is or their need for privacy, they need to go, need, may need to go sit in their car and do this via FaceTime that, um, you know, that we might have to deviate a little bit and just make sure upfront that everybody's okay with that. In, in one of our investigations that was international, and I think the interviewee was located in Dubai maybe, but I could be, yeah, they didn't mm. even have a computer. So we had to figure out a workaround. So I think flexibility is also a helpful tool or perspective. Right. Jill, communications, scheduling, confidentiality, all of those are considerations in every investigation that's ever been done. Do things shift with virtual investigations? Are there other considerations around those issues that you have to be concerned about? Yeah, I think it does a little bit because you always have to be prepared for the unexpected, right? And so I, you know, having been spent many years doing in, in investigation interviews where I might have been sitting in a room and just one after another 15 people, you know, came in and, and I spoke to them, you know, for entire days and things like that. Whereas with scheduling, um, you know, first of all, I think it's important to make sure when you're scheduling the interview with someone that they know it's, it's an expectation that you're going to be on video, right? So there's no surprises there. You know, certainly people don't like that to be a surprise um, and making sure they understand kind of, you know, you'll need a quiet place where hopefully you won't be interrupted and you can speak privately, things like that. And also I think from a scheduling perspective, it's important to, you know, again, instead of sort of booking things right up next to each other, you know, one hour after, after the other, you leave yourself some room for, like I said, the unexpected. Sometimes someone has a technical difficulty or there's a baby crying or whatever it is, or a dog, and you have to maybe be a little, be definitely be flexible and say, let's, let's take a break for, you know, a few minutes and then maybe you can move to another room or whatever it is. So I think just allowing that extra time, you have, give yourself a little buffer zone so that you don't wind up, you know, stacking people up and, and things like that. And you have the ability to, okay, let, if this isn't working, let's try FaceTime or something like that, you know, <clears throat> and being able to really, you know, just kind of shift gears if you need to. Um, and again, um, sometimes I've had to, you know, I can tell that there's background noise or other people in the room and things like that. And I've had to say, you know, is there, is there a way you could move to a room um, where we can speak privately, you know, and you won't be interrupted and things like that. So it's just, um, you know, to the point that Stephanie made, I think if you've got some rapport established at the beginning, and it's a little bit more informal sometimes because of the circumstances we're all in. And so if you establish that rapport from the beginning, they don't feel as nervous or upset about it if things aren't working, you know, perfectly from the beginning. Can I add to that? I, you know, I, I have a standard introduction that I do with investigation interviews and, and I've tweaked that for virtual investigations. You know, I have the statement about I'm alone in a private area, in my home office, no one else is here. Mm -hmm. I just wanna confirm that you are also in a private area where you can speak freely. 
And then as I, um, I also add, you know, if you need to take a break and it's sort of an icebreaker in a way, you know, if, if you need to go let the dog out or answer the door or <laughs> sign for the package, no problem. We can accommodate for that. Just let me know. Um, and, and that maybe is a way to get at some of that rapport building that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I, I have one more point to add to that. Um, you know, I've had to, um, I've had to actually convince people as to why we have to do it face-to-face -face and not just a phone call. Um, so before you even get to, are you alone? You know, well, why do I have to be alone and why do I have to do this? And, and you know, it, it, the usual stuff applies, right? It's, it's just more helpful. I think it's helpful if we can just look each other in the eye as we're talking. Um, so that's something to take into consideration as well. Are there other issues, and I'll throw it out to all three of you, about, for example, if you have documents that you have to share or texts that you have to share or other sorts of mechanical things that come up in investigations? Are there, is it different in terms of, of virtual? Is there prep that you need to do ahead of time if you have documents and things that you need to exchange? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, no, go ahead. Well, I, I, obviously you're going to need to prepare ahead of time and have them um, on your computer, ideally, because if you can share your screen. Um, so, you know, that takes some planning for sure. Amy, have you actually, I mean, and, and that applies in depositions as well. You know, there's lot, lots of meetings these days have um, the need to show documentation. Right, right. Available. Yeah. And when you're talking about preparing for the investigation interviews, the content doesn't really differ from the way we'd normally do it. You know what documents you want to talk about, you know, the questions you want to ask, all those types of things, but it's the context. It's building that virtual room and making it um, user-friendly for both of you uh, with respect to all sorts of things. Um, you know, even, even beginning the interview, um, I, I like to use a waiting room at the beginning of the interview, not a password because then the uh, witness has to remember the password and they may not understand that concept, you know, if, they have, if they're not super familiar with the technology. But with a waiting room, I can see when they arrive, I'm ready to go and they don't just pop up on my screen, right? At the, at the beginning and same for them. They have a little time to know, okay, I'm here. We're gonna start in just a minute. Um, there are also, some of the platforms will help you address important items like lighting, which came up earlier, like ambient noise in the room that you might be able to, to tweak to create your virtual room and make it more um, um, appropriate. Um, but with respect to sharing documents, what I found is it is much easier on some platforms than it is on others for me. Um, and it's just been a learning process. And I think someone mentioned, I think it was Jill that mentioned earlier that practicing these things until you are comfortable with them is really critical because when you can't share a document and you need to discuss it. Well, now you're okay. Well, I'm going to email it to you. What's your email address? You know all those things, and it's mm -hmm. delaying uh, the process and just getting everybody off track. Um, so I just want to reemphasize what was said earlier about practicing those those things. 
Yeah, and one thing I would add to that too, Lisa, um, it, it sort of in, is uh, similar to sharing documents. Sometimes you have to play like the recording of something, you know, a recording of a phone call or a recording of a conversation uh, between two employees, for example. And, um, you know, if you're in the same room, that's not a hard thing to do, even if the, the, the audio quality is bad. But I've had situations since, you know, doing this on Zoom uh, where the audio quality was so bad, the person could not hear it with me playing it on, um, you know, through the platform itself. And so, in that instance, I wound up, um, I, I did have to sort of like finish the interview without that piece of it and then have a follow up where I had transcribed the phone call for that person and I put it up on the screen, shared the screen, and then we walked through the, the um, transcription of the call together. But that was just another way that something that I, you know, I wasn't anticipating and, and uh, wound up having to flex again a little bit on that to, to get that part in. I'm curious if you all have encountered a time where it, whether it's access to technology, where an interviewee, a witness just doesn't have access or you can't manage it and you say enough, I'm going to move to a telephonic interview um, and just dispense with the virtual. Is there a time and a place for that? Anybody? I've, I've experienced that, um, and it was in the first virtual investigation I did. Um, and I learned from that experience that it's really important to state up front. I'd like to speak via video conference, you know, video uh, meeting, video Zoom. Um, you know, and, and you can pivot in that situation depending on which witness you're working with at the time. If it's your, um, some of your primary witnesses, you're really gonna need to figure out a way to get face-to-face -face virtually. Um, and a phone call I think is not um, gonna be the best option. There may be less significant witnesses, maybe with smaller involvement in the investigation itself that if they can't manage the technology, then, then a phone call, you know, just talking to them on the phone might be fine. Um, what I've actually found is with a few, exception, a few exceptions, most people are pretty savvy, whether it's on their phone or their iPad or their laptop. Um, so uh, that, I, that's been um, a, a, good, a good thing that I haven't had to deal with very often, so. Good, that's reassuring as we all move into this. Steph, you had a point you wanted to make. Yeah, I just wanted to make two points actually. Um, the first is that one client that I work, no, two clients that I've worked with on investigations had provided, in terms of, of creating your quiet space, um, they had provided their um, employees with noise canceling headphones. So it really didn't matter what was going on with the dog or the packages uh, because they were able to focus and, and hear me and, and I them. And then the other thing I just wanted to say is that, you know, the reality is that in this context, we simply have less control than we normally do mm -hmm. when we're doing an in-person interview and we have to accept and compromise sometimes. Those are all great points. Stephanie, let's bring this to a close. And I'm curious about the bigger picture questions. Are virtual investigations here to stay? I know it's, it's sort of a subjective opinion. Are there other considerations that employers should think about, other leadership wisdom that, that you may have um, looking into 2021 and beyond? 
So uh, for better or for worse, I do think they're here to stay. Um, I'm sensing that they're, you know, the virtual investigation will be a staple option from now on, um, especially if the issues presented aren't really sensitive or serious or credibility is, isn't, you know, the assessment is not hinging on a credibility, credibility assessment. Um, I do think it's really important as long as virtual investigations are going to be part of the mix for organizations to be mindful of consistency. Um, so how is it determined that a given investigation is going to be conducted virtual to one versus the other? And how do we ensure that we're, we're making that determination, we're applying those considerations consistently? Um, and, and then the only other observation I would make is that most of us have had it up to here with virtual interactions um, because they're exhausting and draining. So it's worth remembering that that applies in the investigation context too. So while convenience is great, you know, convenient for sure, we also need to consider how to get the best quality information while ensuring that everybody's comfortable while you're gathering it. I think we can all agree with that. I appreciate that. Thank you guys. Thank you, Stephanie, Amy, Jill. Um, your perspectives and your experiences are so important. And thank you also to our listeners for joining us. You can read Amy's white paper on the subject and learn more about EPS services, including virtual investigations at our website 